wondered how taboo, shame, and lack of good sexual education have stripped away elements of pleasure in childbirth and parenting that are essential to loving, intimate relationships? Join me for another episode of Orgasmic Birth Podcast, Pleasure in Pregnancy, Birth, and Parenting, as we break down and heal barriers and open the door to more love and intimacy in birth and life. What do you think of when you think of a birth plan? Do you think a list of things that you don't want as well as some things that you do want? Well, I'm here to change all that and help you write your birth wishes, birth desires, birth vision, and give you a guide so that you can positively convey what you would like for your birth. Hi, I'm Deborah Pascali Bonaro, founder and director of Orgasmic Birth and host of the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. And if you'd like to positively prepare for birth, to learn about bringing pleasure for yourself, your babe, your partner, and to make birth something extraordinary, not just ordinary, please look at our pleasurable birth essentials. We have an online childbirth class that's designed just for you, and I'll be there to guide you in all the ways that you too can create an orgasmic birth. So today, I'm going to take you through creating and communicating your birth preferences, or as I like to often call them, birth desires, birth wishes. I think this is an essential part of preparing for a safe, gentle, and pleasurable orgasmic birth. And so often in pregnancy, it's easy to make assumptions about the care that you're going to receive in birth. And without fully exploring all your options and discussing them with your care team, too many people are really shocked to learn what they had hoped they would have available to them at birth is not. And when you look at the number of people that come away from birth with birth trauma or disappointed, it's often because they made assumptions. They just thought they'd get personalized individual care. And if you're giving birth in a hospital, providers wish they could give you individualized care. But hospitals are designed for industrialized birth to move people through kind of the conveyor belt model. So think about kind of McDonald's, you know, you can get certain things there, but you certainly can't get all your choices available. So I, being Italian, I'm sure it's a little bit of my love of food. I often say that going to birth, you should do research like you're going out for a great meal and you need to know everything that's on the menu, how it's prepared, how it will be offered to you. And what's somewhat ironic is for most of us, if we want to go out for a special meal, we have apps that we can search kind of the price of the meal, the ambiance, is the environment romantic or just general open. We can research what other people thought and rated about all the different meals. But when it comes to birth, often we're not doing that research and we're kind of making up this menu that what we want for our birth is all the ingredients of like a vegetable lasagna. 
but we're showing up at a Thai restaurant. And not that Thai food isn't great, but if it's not what you're hoping for that day, you're never going to get vegetable lasagna. And that leads to such great disappointment. And as I said, even birth trauma. So putting time to really understand your options, to explore them, to write them or draw them and find creative ways to express them. And then good communication skills with your team can really mean the difference between having birth trauma and instead having ecstasy and love that's available when you positively prepare for birth. So the more time you invest into understanding and researching your options for from childbirth, the more knowledgeable that you'll be to craft your desires and discuss them to learn if your desires and your birth team are a good fit. So it starts too with language. Um, and if you've been listening to my podcast, you know how much language is important to me and the way that we relanguage words about women's bodies. What makes you feel strong, powerful, healthy? How, what terms do you use? But that's why I like to relanguage instead of a plan. If we plan our birth, birth rarely goes to plan, then it leads people up for thinking that it didn't go well, or even worse, that they failed at it. And no one fails in birth. No matter what birth asks of you, birth is going to have you dig deeper than you can imagine into your strengths. But it can also bring you the greatest joy, the greatest bliss, and the greatest ecstasy. So when you just change the name from birth plan to birth vision, dreams, desires, you're acknowledging that it's fluid. We can vision different things for different situations. So whatever birth asks of you, you can be prepared to bring your best foot forward and really do it with love and pleasure. And just as you're writing your preferences, remember that there are two of you as a part of this dance to birth. And often I see many people write their birth plan or birth preferences as if they get a hundred percent of the say. But you have a baby that's going to be literally moving with you, feeling every emotion bathed in the hormones that you secrete during labor and birth. So it's really important to recognize that our children have their own opinions and their own path. And babies are really smart. Sometimes we invite them kind of what I call the short path or maybe the, the highway to birth, the easiest, what we see as quickest way. And they take the scenic route. They kind of tore your pelvis. But what we learn later is there was a good reason they needed that longer labor. Maybe they were navigating where the placenta was or they had a double or triple cord and they were finding the easiest way. So that cord allowed them to gently birth. So always remember that birth is a dance for two and that you'll create your preferences and labor will let you know what's safest and best for you and your baby. So some of the things that I'd like to say is to really gather all this information about benefits, risks, alternatives of all different techniques and treatments and options so that you have a good feel of like, what do you, what would you prefer? And I use an acronym many educators do too called BRAINS. B is what are the benefits of anything that's being offered? R is are there any risks? And 
you'd be shocked how many of our treatments, interventions, medications have a lot of risks that people don't know are there to research them. And the A is, are there alternatives? And often there are. So being aware and creating those lists of alternatives that might feel better to you. And that leads to the I. The I is intuition. What does your gut tell you about that? Or another way to say that is, how do you feel about that? The N is to recognize that in informed decision-making, which is a part of your preferences, is how are you going to do that informed decision-making in labor? It's being able to either agree and say, yes, I would like that. Things have changed and I understand why this would be a better option for me and my baby. Or that N can be, no, not now. I need more time. Let's try an alternative first. A simple example would be an IV, an intravenous drip. Caregivers are very quick to offer that in labor. And if you really look at the benefits, risks, alternatives, you know that unless you have some clear indicators, an IV is not really recommended over eating and drinking in labor. So if one was recommended to you and they didn't give you a real urgent medical need, then an alternative is to take 30 minutes to an hour and make sure that you're getting 8 to 16 ounces of water of fluid in and then reassessing. So that can be not now, it can be no, or let's say you had a needle phobia, it could be never. So it's making sure that you know your options, benefits, risks, alternatives, and you can either consent or agree or saying no, not now, I need more time. And the S I like to add onto the brains is how will you do whatever you do safely? And feeling safe and private. We've talked so much in earlier episodes. Dr. Sarah Buckley really helped us understand the hormonal physiology of labor, how it works, and what happens if we use interventions and there are gaps. But we always need to feel safe to let our hormones flow. And sometimes the interventions do create gaps, as Dr. Butley shared. And so that S is not only how to do things safely, but how to bring the sexy back in. How can you help your hormones to flow as oxytocin, that hormone of love that's needed for labor and must grow to the highest levels after birth? We need to always consider whatever we do, how do we keep that flowing? So kind of think of that acronym as I take you through some of the choices on birth preferences and make sure that if you haven't discussed all the benefits, risks, alternatives of all of these, one, join me in my pleasurable birth essentials or join me for private one-on-one -on -one coaching and I'm happy to take you through all those options or take a good class, make sure you have information, knowledge is power, and then you can start putting your preferences together. So some things to think about to begin is where and will you birth? What are the benefits and how do you feel about home birth, birth center and hospital birth? And I have to add, hospital birth is not the same. We have hospitals. I'm in northern New Jersey, right outside New York City. And there are hospitals that have cesarean rates in New Jersey that are in kind of the low 20%. And we have other hospitals that are almost 50%. What 
whatever your provider's rate of interventions is, that's your relative risk of having that intervention. So one hospital to another can be night and day in what their practices are. We have hospitals in New Jersey that water birth is a really welcome thing and people can labor and birth in water. In New York City, in all five boroughs right now, there's not one hospital that lets you labor and birth in the water. If you're laboring in water, they literally pull the plug and drain the tub so that you're birthing dry. So really, when I say, you know, certainly go visit a home birth midwife, ask them about their practice, learn about home birth. If you're blessed to have a birth center in your community, visit it again until you walk in a door and see and understand the different options. You really don't have any. And Roberta Scarer, a dear friend of mine, wrote a great birth book years ago. And she said, if you don't know your options, you don't have any. So really important when you look at place of birth, go visit them, go visit different hospitals and find out what they say. Also, learn about the difference between physicians, midwives, and doulas. How do different caregivers provide care? And don't just, you know, ask some general things. Find out in labor. Are they going to be there with you? When do they arrive? Doulas, and I hope you'll listen to other podcasts. I'm going to be doing more soon, a lot more about doulas. But doulas are there 100% for you, right? They fully support you and they're there from whenever you need them in labor till whenever you feel safe and comfortable with your newborn after birth. And I wish that our staff could do that and they wish they could too. But nurses are so busy often caring for two or three people in labor. A lot of people enter the hospital thinking their doctor, their midwife, and their nurse will be there. And what we know is they're often with other people, so they're only in and out of the room. Many doctors' protocol is to only arrive when you're fully dilated, so you'll be doing all the labor without their presence. So really understand what their care is like, what their rate of interventions are, how many people in their practice have the kind of birth that you're hoping for for? Have they heard of orgasmic birth? Do they support the sacred sensuality and sexuality of birth? So make sure you understand all of this. I've mentioned before that medicalized birth, I always say, has sterilized birth. It's stripping away. It's acknowledging that birth is physical, but Birth is physical, emotional, sexual, and sacred. So I'd encourage you to take time to really write about the fullness of birth. What does birth mean to you? And how can you safely express all aspects of yourself so you can fully open to birth? So write a short paragraph about how you'd like to integrate your emotional, cultural, and beliefs, spiritual beliefs, as well as sexual well-being into birth. And it's a great task to kind of start off writing your preferences with like if you were doing a business, right? It would be a mission statement or a vision statement. So I'm going to ask you to write that mission vision statement about birth. What are you hoping for? What are your core beliefs about birth? So that defines it for whoever's reading it. 
once you've gathered all the good science about the benefits, risks, and alternatives of all your choices and options and where and how you want to give birth, then take time to explore how you feel about all the birth options possible in that setting. And you really want to share them when you're done with your caregiver because communication is key. So I often say it's good to start by writing, or I like to lead people through birth art. It's one of my fun things that I learned from Pam England years ago, birthing from within, ways that we can kind of draw our birth, dance our birth, write poetry about your vision. So don't just think of writing it, which is very linear, and that might be good for some of you, but how are other ways you can get in creative mode to let your feelings flow? You and your baby are working together in the most intimate way in labor and birth. We know that your movements, if you're that birthing woman and a birthing person, your movements assist your baby in finding the shortest and most gentle path to birth. Your emotions are felt by your baby and expressed by your hormones that flow, and they can be there to offer you calm, comfort, and love, and then you're passing that to your baby. So how you're creating that environment and loving through labor is so important. So when preparing for birth, I suggest you check in with your baby often. What do they need to have a safe journey to birth? All the preparation you can do is important, but so is recognizing that you're doing this to get together. Your baby has their own personality, their own desires, and their path to safety. So when preparing your vision for birth, I recommend maintaining flexibility that will help you both navigate whatever is asked for you in birth. Stay positive. I always say, don't focus on the negative, right? And sometimes I'll read birth plans in particular, and they'll say, I don't want this, and I don't want that. But if you're stating what you don't want, as much as you're thinking you're not focused on it, you're giving that more energy than what you want. And it's really nicer. Providers receive birth wishes best when they're positive, so they too know what you want. For example, I don't want an IV versus I prefer to eat and drink in labor, to move freely, to use water in a shower or a tub for comfort because IVs are not permitted in the shower usually. So how does that difference feel? The I don't was just one short sentence. What you do want takes more responsibility that you'll hydrate and you'll move and hydration is important in labor for it to proceed smoothly. So go through each option that you want, and here are some suggestions for you. I prefer to move, change position, listen to my body and my baby in labor and birth. To facilitate movement, I prefer to eat and drink, to keep myself hydrated, and to have intermittent fetal monitoring. I desire privacy, to feel safe, so I can help my birth hormones flow. We will be sharing our love openly, which may include words, kissing, stroking, and intimacy. So that's just a little example. How did that feel to you rather than a list of what I don't want? So I hope it's encouraging you to really help flip what do you want. Now, things that you should definitely investigate is your bag of water. 
Now, that is something that when people go in, often doctors or midwives, they it's called rupturing or breaking the water. And think about that for terminology. Like if something broke or ruptured in your body today, how would that feel? So instead, I like to say, please allow my bag of water to release on its own unless there's a medical reason. And if so, please share how the benefits outweigh the risks of artificial rupture of membranes so I can make an informed decision. Vaginal exams. I have to say, I've been at a lot of births and I don't know anyone that really said vaginal exams were pleasurable. And you always have to decide what information are they giving you and how will you use that? Will it make a difference for you or your baby? So a lot of people put, I prefer to limit or even no vaginal exams unless there's a specific reason that would be a benefit. Fetal monitoring. Do you want intermittent, which means they listen on and off. And most midwives do intermittent. They come in and because midwives are with you through labor and birth, they're present to do more one-on-one -on -one care. So they can listen. Sometimes the, at home, they'll use a fetoscope or the Doppler, but they can put it on and take it off. When we're in a hospital, nursing staff has to care for more people at a time. And so it's easier than for monitoring to have those belts, the fetal monitor machines. And again, some people do intermittent, 20 minutes out of every hour, but a lot of places for convenience just leave it on and we call that continuous monitoring. And know that there has not been any that benefits based on science of continuous monitoring except an increase in cesarean births. So unless you have a risk factor, it's important to know what your provider's protocols are and why and is intermittent monitoring available so you can talk about it. We already mentioned IVs versus eating and drinking. And then I would encourage you to make a list of all the ways that you will find comfort and pleasure. So some of mine would be, I would prefer to move using a birth ball, a peanut ball, and I shared these in other episodes, or the cub, comfortable upright birth, a squat bar, a birth stool, a sling, a rebozo, a rope, to listen to music, to sway and dance with my partner, to have a doula, to use aromatherapy that supports me in feeling safe and calm and list your favorite smells, to dim the lights, to have electric candles, to eat and drink, to create an environment that I feel safe, private, and unobserved so my birth hormones will flow, to express our love for our baby and each other, to have my partner and my doulas to support me with touch, massage, acupressure, counterpressure, jiggling and wiggling like I like to do, position changes, dance, visualization, hypnosis, meditation, affirmations, relaxation, hot and cold compresses, TENS machines, nitrous oxide, laughing gas, and if you want an epidural or you reach a point where pain becomes suffering and an epidural is a very wise choice, well, you have a code word. And I do encourage you to explore that. 
there's a wonderful pain medication preference scale. And we'll put the link in the show notes from the National Partnership. It was designed by Penny Simkin. And it's a great scale. Well, you'll see the, the plus 10 at the top is unreal. It's like, I'm so afraid of labor and birth. I want to be unconscious and wake me up when I have a baby. And the other end is unreal of people that so want a natural birth that says, even if I have a cesarean birth, I don't want medication. So know that the two ends are unreal extremes. But in between are all different options of how you might feel. Are you more afraid? Do you know that you'd rather have pain medication? And when would you like to receive it? Or aren't you sure you're kind of a zero? You're in between, you know, you've had some friends that had epidurals that had beautiful births and you had some friends that had more natural births, moving, dancing, laboring or birthing in water. And so I always say to someone that's a zero or more toward thinking that you'd like to limit or avoid pain medication to create a code word. I learned this from Penny Simpkin. And this way in your preferences, you'll actually write that I have a code word. Please do not come in and offer me pain medication instead and think of three things they could do. Instead, tell me I'm strong. Instead, hold my hand. Instead, encourage me to walk and take a shower. But I know that in typical hospitals today, every time you make a sound, people come in and say, do you want an epidural? And if you're like in labor and vulnerable, what you hear under that is people saying, I don't believe you can do it. I'm wearing that white coat or that blue coat, and I think you are not going to make it. And when people in labor have people that are giving messages that you can't do it, those are more powerful than those that are right next to you who are saying, you're doing it, you've got this. So what I encourage you to do is really think about what messages you're going to allow into your birth space and minimize them, put them outside. You, every person, right? All women are strong and powerful. And if you want an epidural, you'll ask for it, but you don't need people dangling it in front of you. So I encourage you to look at that pain medication preference scale and think about having a code word. I also would say in your birth preferences, have a list of oxytocin enhancers, and they may require time for privacy. And some that I often have people work with, if it feels right to you, are things from kissing, touching, eye contact, nipple stimulation, masturbation, vibrators, right? And I would encourage you to make sure you have 10 ways that are listed here that you feel comfortable to release oxytocin in labor and birth. And it's important to have them here because you want to share this, your preferences with your care providers. So if they're going to have a pushback on things that you're hoping to do, this is the time to talk about it. Talk about why. Talk about why sometimes that door might need to be shut and people need to knock before they come in. But another thing with your preferences is if you truly find that your caregivers don't support your preferences in any way, you have a couple options. One, I always say, get a second opinion. Go to a different provider and a different practice. And I would really make it different, like not in the same facility. Really change it up. 
And C, you might find another provider is way more comfortable and offering the options that you want, just like going to two different restaurants can be night and day and what's offered. On the other hand, if the second opinion is the same as yours, you can say, well, maybe this is all that's available in my community. And then you're going to decide who you want to stay with and modify your preferences. Birth trauma happens when we have unrealistic, unmet expectations. And they're not unrealistic. I should take that back. Birth trauma happens when we have unmet expectations in labor and birth. So if you're aware that your practice has a different paradigm than you and you agree to stay with it, you can modify so you know what to expect and still find the ways that will work to positively prepare for birth. I would also encourage you to have a whole nother set of preferences for second stage, for easing your baby into the world. I would like to find positions that use gravity and feel best. Standing, squatting, hands and knees, lap squatting, using a rope, lunge, squat bar, that cub again, side lying with the peanut ball, and other positions that my body will find helpful. And if you enjoyed as much as I did our episode all about the clitoris's role in labor, then you know why both in first stage, but also in second stage, it's really important to find positions that you can lean forward. Try a variety of positions. You might even want to change every four to five pushes if my baby's not moving down. I always like to add, I would like to push with my body's rhythm spontaneously and prefer no one's directing me unless there's a specific reason. So no people yelling four-letter words at you. And use a mirror to see your baby's head emerge, touch your baby's head as it crowns maybe, help catch your baby, or maybe have your partner catch your baby. These are all things that can be there. I also say write preferences if a cesarean birth is needed. If you take classes with us, we have a whole nother class on preparing for a gentle cesarean birth and ways that every cesarean, when needed, can be a positive experience. Playing your music when the baby's welcomed, lowering the drape so you can see your baby being born, delayed cutting of the baby's umbilical cord until it stops pulsing one to three minutes, having your baby place skin to skin so all the extra care is done on you or next to you. Keep your baby with you during any repair and in the recovery room. And I always say, I would like both my partner and my doula with me should our baby need to go to neonatal intensive care unit. My partner can go with our baby and our doula can stay with me. So there's a lot more you can add there. So really vision, you know, if you're going to a hospital today, if you're in the U.S., our hospital cesarean rate is over 30%. That's almost one in three people. I think it's really important to just have one page short, but just some desires. So when a cesarean if it should ever become necessary, if you can pull out the sheet and know that it may be different than the birth of your initial dreams, but that you still have visions on ways that you can safely welcome your baby and bring your love and all your special ways to it. 
Always have something for after the baby, too. If you want delayed cord clamping, and we'll be having an episode about that in the future, definitely learn about that. We know it's really essential. We wait to the cord blood, which is the baby's blood, till it stabilizes. If you cut that cord too soon, the baby can lose up to one-third of their blood volume. A lot of people in some parts of the world even wait until the placenta is born. Who's going to cut the cord? Some people say that their partner will, and some people like to wait a little longer and have it be more a little ceremony where both of you do it together. We know immediate skin-to-skin afterbirth is essential. That Mama, you are the best incubator in the world. When we place that baby skin-to-skin on that new parent's chest, we know that that body temperature is regulated. If you just gave birth, you're going to raise your body temperature up two degrees to warm your baby or down one degree lower to cool your baby. There's nobody else that can regulate the temperature like that. We also know that stabilizes their heart rate, their breathing, and your body is filled with microbiome, all the good bacteria that needs to colonize your baby's gut and intestine system. So we'll be doing more about that in the future too. I have some key guests that are going to talk about your baby's microbiome. But know that thinking about this first hour and first day is essential because when babies are taken away and put in newborn nurseries, right, they're usually then in what's called protest or despair. They will initially protest and that's screaming and crying because they want to be back with their mother. But if they don't get to them, they go into despair, which is they've cried out and they often have high levels of adrenaline, cortisol, stress hormones, and that actually lowers their body temperature and makes their breathing and respiration less regular. So, so many reasons, we'll cover it more, but definitely look into that first hour and all the benefits of skin to skin. Learn about newborn assessments and procedures. Most people want them to done, be done literally on them or right next to them. And some people in a whole nother episode will do will be all about placentas. Do you want to keep yours to bury it, make placenta medicine out of it? There's so much to learn about placentas. There are other things to consider, cord blood banking, um, meeting lactation consultants, and having things to say, should you need to be separated, what would you like? Who will be caring and staying for your with your baby? Always add on an intro about yourself. Who are you? Why have you chosen your providers? Or, and I always say, write something special about them. When providers get birth preferences, in and out every day. They often can look the same. But if you start with a paragraph about your vision, your mission, who you are, and then write why you've chosen them and find something nice to say. When people read something nice about themselves, they're more likely to read and respect all that you'd like. And if you can't find something nice, maybe that's a sign that you're not at the right practice. So, I really hope that these ideas for birth preferences will really help you. And in the show notes, 
if you want, I'm going to send you a link. If you would like to join me and see my preferences, I'm offering them free to you if you follow the link in our podcast notes. And I hope that you will positively prepare for birth in whatever way and maybe join us in our pleasurable birth essentials or join me for one-on-one coaching because whatever you do, I know that preparation and then taking the time to communicate your preferences with your caregiver will make a big difference. So definitely call ahead when you have your preferences ready. Ask if you can have an extra 10 minutes to just sit and discuss them. You want to do that with your clothes on at their desk. And I know 10 minutes seems short, but for caregivers who are very busy, 10 minutes is a lot of extra time to book into your visits for many of them. And make sure you give them a quick overview of your preferences, leave them a copy so they can review them. And what you'd like to know is if they completely agree, can they sign them so you have them in your chart? So should they not be the ones there when you first arrive at your birthplace? Or if you're having a home birth, if a different midwife is covering that day, Everyone knows what your preferences are. If they don't feel comfortable signing them and there are some things they don't agree with, then that gives you an opportunity to discuss them and to either change practices, as I said, or modify your preferences. So at least going into the birth, you have a good idea of what you can expect from your team and you've been clear about all the ways that you want to find comfort, pleasure, and love yourself, your baby, and your partner through labor. Wishing you a positive, pleasurable day, and I hope fun, dancing, singing, drawing, writing, and creating your birth preferences. Thanks for listening to the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about pleasure in birth parenting and birth work, visit orgasmicbirth.com forward slash more for my free gifts. And please leave a review about your experience. Reviews help us to reach more people and please subscribe.